Let's open our Bible to the book of Colossians. Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. It's one of the small letters in your Bible written by the Apostle Paul. It might be small in length, but it is so great and so powerful in the message that it gives to us. We're going to take a quick survey through the book of Colossians. We're going to go through the first chapter today. So I'm going to read to you Colossians chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of our love and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is, faithful, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and in increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and con Vade us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things." And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death <clears throat> to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Father, we ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, in your grace and in your mercy, open our hearts and open our minds. God, reveal your word, reveal your truth to us, and set us free to be a people that would bring glory and honor to your name, that we would be salt and light in this world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as I read the letter of Paul to the Colossians, if we were going to summarize or pick something out of each chapter, each of these four chapters, and you realize that as you read a letter like this, I mean, you could, you could literally just spend weeks on one chapter. We're not going to do that. I'm going to attempt to do all of chapter one today which means there's a whole lot that could be said that won't be said. But I want to draw your attention to one verse to me that sticks out in Colossians chapter 1, and it is verse 27. And in verse 27, at the end of that verse, Paul makes this statement, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul makes that statement revealing that this was something that was hidden. It was a mystery until Christ was revealed and through his death, through his crucifixion, through his resurrection, through the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. God's eternal will was revealed that God would save not just a Jewish people, not just the seed of Abraham, but God would save the world. God would save Jew and Gentile. God would save all who come to faith in Christ. And he would create for himself a new nation, a holy nation, a new people, a holy people, a new priesthood, a royal priesthood. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let's begin. Let's go back through this. And very quickly, verses 1 through 8 of Colossians chapter 1 is really Paul's introduction and Paul's introduction in this letter is very similar to the introductions in, in his other letters. He gives place to God's grace in his life. He gives grace or place to the grace of God for his calling and for his ability and the privilege of preaching the gospel and, and, and being an apostle of Jesus Christ. When we get to verses 9 through 12, Paul utters his prayer for the church. This is Paul's prayer for the church. And in verses 9 through 12, Paul prays specifically 
that they be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That the believers be filled with knowledge of God's will. That the believers would walk worthy, verse 10, that they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What does it mean to walk worthy? That word walk is not just talking about how your two legs carry you somewhere. That word walk speaks of your life. Walk worthy is the same thing as saying live worthy. To walk worthy before the Lord speaks of how we live our life. And to walk worthy of the Lord or to live worthy of the Lord is to live a life that's fully pleasing to Him. It's to live a life that's fruitful in every good work. What is the fruit? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The being fruitful is not just you doing a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of things that the world thinks are good. You can get a lot of attaboys and have a lot of people pat you on the back for all the great things that you're doing, but that's not the same thing as being fruitful in the Lord. True fruitfulness in Christ can only come from the Spirit of God. You and I as human beings can do good things for people. And in the world's eyes, the things we do can look really good. And they can look fruitful. But we're not saved by our good works. We don't please God just by staying really busy doing good things versus bad things. Now what God wants is fruitfulness. Jesus talks about this in John 15. The Father is glorified by the fruit, by much fruit that's produced. The fruit of the Spirit comes from the life of the Spirit residing in us. This goes back to verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is in you, then the fruit of His life, the fruit of His Spirit must be manifest through you. So to walk worthy, to live worthy of the Lord is to be fully pleasing. It's to be fruitful. It's to manifest His life and His Spirit through your life. And it is to be increasing in the knowledge of God. When the writer of Hebrews talked about the assembling of the saints and it says, let us not forsake the assembling of the saints. Let us not forsake the assembling together of one another as is the manner of some. It's not because God is marking roll up in heaven. It's not because God is taking attendance. And if you miss too many days, you're going to get expelled. That's not, that's not the point. That's not how it works. The reason we're encouraged to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, first and foremost, is because it's a witness of, to his glory. It's a witness to his grace. It's a witness that we are the people of God. And so we don't do the same things the world does. We live differently. We have different priorities. The other part of this is coming together is that we come together and there is an expectation that in our assembling together, in our coming together, 
to hear the preaching of the word, to study the word, to sing the scripture, to sing our praises to God, to fellowship with one another, that all of that contributes to us increasing in the knowledge of God. This is how the Spirit works. This is the means by which the Spirit works in us and through us to bring about this increase in the knowledge of God. It would be ridiculous to think that you're going to increase in the knowledge of God if you never read your Bible. It would be ridiculous to think that you're going to get to know someone if you never meet them, right? And if you meet them once, you haven't really got to know them, have you? No. You get to know someone by spending time with them. Well, the Bible says we are the body of Christ. And God has commanded that we spend time together, that we assemble together as an act of worship, but also to facilitate the work of the Spirit in bringing about an increase in the knowledge of God and an increase in the fellowship of the saints. And so Paul prays this. This is part of how we walk or we live worthy of the Lord. This is how we please Him. This is how we become fruitful. This is how we increase in the knowledge of God. So that was Paul's prayer. Be filled with the knowledge of His will. Walk worthy of the Lord. Be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. For all patience and long-suffering with joy. I want you to notice that Paul prays for the saints and that means that that prayer applies to us. Paul prays that we be strengthened with all might. And that strength is not dependent upon you. We were, we were laughing the other day. I think Taylor is opening up their fourth or fifth fitness center now. now there's a lot of people paying a lot of money to be strengthened with all might. But that's not the kind of strength that God is telling us to be strengthened with. Great, go to the gym, build your physical muscles, but you'll never be able to muscle your way into heaven. This isn't the point. Paul says, be strengthened with all might, and he qualifies it. Be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. You notice Paul doesn't say, be strengthened with all might according to your glorious power, because we have no glorious power. We have no power to resist the enemy apart from Christ. We have no power to resist the enemy apart from the truth of the scripture. We're not going to use our muscle and we're not going to overpower the enemy with our voices or with our human will. And we're not going to will our way into heaven. No, we are to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. This is why Paul and recorded for us in 2 Corinthians was able, or why Jesus was able to say to Paul, Paul, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Now that sounds weird to us. That doesn't sound like it makes any sense that somehow our weakness contributes to strength. But when we understand, and Paul is consistent, and the scripture is consistent, not just the Apostle Paul. Why does Paul say this? Because Paul knew what the prophet Isaiah said. What did Isaiah say? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll walk. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. 
Whose power are we waiting on? We're waiting on God's power. We're not, just re- we're not just waiting to have our batteries recharged. No, that's not it. When we recognize our inability, when we recognize our powerlessness, when we recognize our weakness, Jesus said, that's when my strength is made perfect in you. So Paul prays, be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. To what end? That we would have all patience and long suffering with joy. Now I know you think those are mutually exclusive things. There's no such thing as long suffering and patience somehow working with joy because those things don't go together. I mean, how many of you and your impatience are joyful? How many of you experience joyful impatience all the time? You you don't. Frustrated impatience, angry impatience. But yet Paul says, pray that you be strengthened, not according to your might, but, but according to his power for this purpose that you would in all patience and long suffering have joy. That as you wait upon the Lord, as you long suffer in Jesus, you would do so with joy. How are you going to do that? You're going to do it not by the power of your might. You're going to do it by the power of his might. I would say that's a very appropriate prayer. Some people say the Bible's out of date. Now, you read the Bible, you'll see it's not out of date at all. It is so relevant for our lives today. This prayer Paul prayed for the church, for the Colossians, is so relevant for our life. We need to be filled with the knowledge of his will. We need to walk worthy of the Lord. We need to be strengthened with all might for all patience and long-suffering with joy. And then he gives thanks. We should never pray without giving thanks. In fact, Philippians chapter 4 says, in all things with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now I want to draw your attention to this verse 12 and 13. Paul says, this is what I'm praying for you, and I'm giving thanks to the Father in this prayer. The Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. (coughs) Paul's giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Look at verse 12. Let's read it together. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So Paul is giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, he has delivered us, and he has conveyed us. Now let's talk about that. The Father has qualified us to be partakers. You notice, if the Father has qualified us, what can we rest assured of? If if it is the Father who qualifies us, then who does not qualify us? Can you qualify yourself? No. 
It doesn't even say, thanks be to the Father who has given us the power to qualify ourselves. It doesn't say that. It says, thanks be to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers. The Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. The Father qualified us by choosing us in Him and giving us to the Son. Now, we, we actually went through some of these scriptures on Wednesday night as we were finishing up Romans chapter 9. I want you to understand. I think this is really important. There's a lot of Christians out there who don't understand their salvation. There's a lot of people who profess faith in Christ who are stressing out, thinking that they have not achieved enough in order to be saved yet. I talked to a gentleman the other day just in a brief conversation. It wasn't even about anything theological or biblical. We were at an event together, and, and I, I made a statement to him um, about someone that had gone on uh, to be with the Lord, and, and, and I said something to the effect that we will, uh, that he would see them again one day, because I know this gentleman professes faith in Christ, very strong faith in Christ, gives a very bold witness, and I made this statement about him seeing this person again one day, and he looked at me, and he said, I hope so, and I was like taken aback. I'm like, if there was anybody that would know why we are saved and that our salvation is sure I would have thought it would have been him and he said well I hope so I'm trying and I said well I said you, you better stop trying because you're not going to get there by trying if Jesus can't get you there then you you can't get yourself there no matter how hard you try and this isn't a partnership that God's going to get you part of the way and you're going to get yourself the rest of the way no Jesus is not your co-pilot. He's not your partner in salvation. He is your salvation, period. That's it. You either trust him for all of your salvation or you have no hope. Because if you or I have to add something to our salvation to get us to heaven, then we are helpless and hopeless and desperately pitiable. We can add not one iota to our salvation in order to get us over the hump, so to speak. The Father, listen, look what the Scripture says. The Father giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through 5 declares this, that the Father chose us in Him before the foundation of the world having predestined us to adoption. What did you do before the foundation of the world that would cause the Father to choose you? I'll tell you what you did. You didn't do anything. Jesus in John 6, 36 through verse 40, Jesus speaks of those who were given to him by the Father. We were given to Jesus by the Father. And Jesus said, all that the Father has given to me, I shall lose none. John 6, 36 through 40 teaches that you were a gift from the Father to Jesus. And Jesus came to redeem all of those that were given to him by the Father. This is what it means when 
when it says the Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. John 17, Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross, while he's in the garden, before he's arrested. Verses 1 and 2, listen to the prayer of Jesus. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. He has authority over all flesh. But Jesus, praying to the Father, speaks of this reality that he will give eternal life to as many as the Father has given to him. Are you trusting in Jesus today? If the answer to that question is yes, then you should rest assured that you are a gift given to Jesus by the Father. You must rest assured that you have been made a partaker because the Father himself has qualified you. You didn't qualify yourself. And you know why that's good news? Because if we qualified ourselves, guess what? We can disqualify ourselves. If I can qualify myself, then I can disqualify myself. And the Bible never presents the salvation that's given to us in Jesus Christ as something in which the Father is up in heaven, marking in his book, waiting to see if we're going to cross that line and get disqualified so that he can expel us from the kingdom. That's the way a lot of Christians live, though. They live in fear that they're going to somehow cross the line and God's going to expel them from the kingdom. Yet it, the Bible is so crystal clear that it's the Father who qualifies us. Jesus himself said, you are given to me by the Father and I will lose none that the Father has given to me. But I will give eternal life. I will give salvation to all whom the Father has given to me. Church, that ought to make you stand up and shout and dance a jig. That's good news. That's the gospel. This is what Paul is declaring to the church here. He said, the Father, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light. The Father qualified us. The Father has delivered us. The Father has delivered us from the power of darkness. Ephesians 5, 8, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How do we walk worthy of the Lord? We walk as children of light. That's how. We once were darkness, but now we're children of light. We walk worthy by walking as children of light. How did we come to be children of light? Because the Father who made us a partaker of the inheritance also delivered us from darkness. He delivered us from the power of darkness. And he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Why did God convey you and I, you and me, into the kingdom? Because he loved the son. Do you know why God gave you to the son? The father gave you to the son because the Father loves the Son. Do 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you might think, well, if the Father really loved the Son, why would he give the Son me? Because I'm not very lovable. So that in all eternity, the mercy and the grace and the glory thereof would be demonstrated to all creation. It would testify of God's glory. It would testify. You testify of his glory. You testify of his grace. You testify of his mercy. And you measured against what you truly deserve magnifies that glory. And we will know throughout eternity that we were not given what we deserve. We were given grace and mercy because Jesus took what we deserved. He took our judgment. He took the wrath that was due us. Paul says, it is the Father that has qualified us. It is the Father that has delivered us from the power of darkness. It is the Father that has conveyed us. He has translated us, just like Star Trek. Anybody seen the new Star Trek movie? They're still translating people in Star Trek. I mean, it's exciting. You know, just when you think Scotty's not going to be able to translate him out of danger and into safety, just at the last moment, and then they're back on the spaceship. When it seemed like there was no hope for us, God, this is exactly what the Bible says, God translated us. He translated us. He carried us. He removed us. He turned us away into the kingdom. He translated us into the kingdom. He translated us out of darkness and into life, out of death and into life. He translated us into the kingdom. This is what the Father has done. So Paul declares his prayer. Paul declares what the Father has done in verses 13 through 20. Paul declares the Son. And he begins to speak of Jesus. In the Son, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. It is the Son who redeems through his blood all those that the Father has qualified for salvation. Who is redeemed by the blood of the Son? It is those who have been qualified to be partakers of the inheritance. And then Paul says, the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son is the Redeemer by his blood. He has given to us the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God. People say, I just want to know what God looks like. Well, look at Jesus. That's not the physical attributes of the Father because the Father doesn't have physical attributes because Jesus said the Father is spirit. This is where the Mormons get it wrong. The Mormons teach that the Father was born on a planet, grew up just like you and I grow up, and just ascended to Godhood. No, Jesus said the Father is spirit. And the Son is the God, is, is the second person of the Godhead that was made manifest. He is the image. He is the physical, visible image of the invisible God. Jesus, the Son, is the firstborn over all creation. He's the creator of all things. 
God created the heavens and the earth, but what part of the Godhead specifically? It was the Son. He is the reason for all creation. All things were created by Him and through Him and for Him. Verse 17, the Son is before all things. That's not chronologically speaking. That is speaking of His position. He is preeminent. He's the head of all things. He is, verse 17, holding all things together. In Him all things consist. That's what it literally says. In Him all things hold together. He is the fullness. It pleased the Father that in Him the fullness should dwell. The Son is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Son is our peace. He is our reconciliation with God through the cross. The peace that God wants you to experience is not just less stress. God wants you to understand that you were in reality God's enemy, but you are in reality now His child. How is that possible? Because Jesus is our peace. Verses 21 through 23, Paul describes us. He describes the believer. He says, you believers, you church, you once, verse 21, you once were alienated and enemies of God. But now you have been reconciled to God through the blood of the Son. And why did God reconcile you? through the blood of His Son, verse 22, so that He could present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. You'll never work yourself to that place. That's a gift given to you. Righteousness and holiness is not what you attain. Righteousness and holiness is what God has given to you in Jesus. And he gave that to you in Jesus so that when you are brought into his presence, you are holy and blameless and without reproach because the blood of Christ has washed you and made you so. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. Now some people take that phrase and they turn it into a condition of our salvation. I submit to you that's not a condition of our salvation. That speaks of the assurance of our salvation. Did Judas walk with Jesus? Did Judas profess faith in Jesus? Yes. Did Judas fall away from Jesus? Yes. Did Judas lose his salvation? No. Judas never had salvation. Jesus said, I lost Judas because he was never mine. He was the son of perdition. Judas never had salvation. It was never his to lose. When God the Father gives you salvation in Christ, you can't lose it. It's not yours to lose. He doesn't belong to you. You belong to him. 
Salvation is not what you possess. Salvation is who possesses you. The problem with Judas is he was never God's child. Judas was put on this earth to fulfill the role that he was created to fulfill. He was created to betray Christ. He is the son of perdition. He didn't lose his salvation, and neither will you if you truly have it. And if you truly have it, you will continue in the faith. This is a declaration of our assurance of salvation. If we have been qualified by the Father, chosen by Him, given by Him to the Son, we will never be lost. But we will persevere through to the end. How? By the grace of God. By the power of His might. By the power of His saving blood. By the power of His grace that has no end. He has reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless above reproach in his sight. If you continue in the faith, and if you are in Christ, you will continue in the faith. Verses 24 through 29, Paul declares his reason for joy and his purpose in ministry. He says this, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. He sounds kind of like a weird guy, doesn't he? I now rejoice in my sufferings. But Paul could say that because he understood who he belonged to. He understood who had redeemed him. He understood his salvation. He understood the greater purpose. He understood that he existed for the glory of God and that he was put on this earth to fulfill what God created him for. He rejoices And his purpose in ministry is for the sake of the body of Christ, which is the church. Verse 24. It's according to the stewardship that comes from God. It was given to him, and it was given to him for the church to build up the body. To fulfill the word of God. Verse 25. So here's something. Paul's not the only one given a stewardship. We've all been given a stewardship. Our stewardship is not the same as the Apostle's Paul, the Apostle Paul. Each of you have a stewardship, and it's not that you have the same stewardship. There are some things that are the same. We're all called to give glory to God. We're all called to work, work, walk worthy before Him. But our stewardships look different. They are different because we're all different people with different callings, with different lives. But here's something that we need to understand about our stewardship and all stewardships given by God. Our stewardship is not void of suffering. No stewardship from God is void of suffering because the scripture says that we will rule with him if we suffer with him. And it's not void of suffering, but it is to be full of joy. And then Paul comes to this point where he says, to make known this mystery, this hidden mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a phrase that you can use to sum up the gospel. What is the gospel? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, you need to understand how Christ came to be in you. You need to understand about his glory. You need to understand a lot of things. 
But you need to understand this, that the gospel, the good news is this reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you have hope of glory because Christ is in you. And if Christ is in you, then you belong to him. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Paul's prayer, Paul's purpose in preaching and teaching the gospel is that they would come to know and comprehend Christ in their salvation in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is a reality. That is your reality if you are trusting Jesus. It is what God the Father has done in qualifying us, in delivering us, and conveying us into the kingdom of the Son of His love from darkness into light. He has put Christ in you, and He has put you in Christ. And Christ is your hope of glory. So church, I charge you to go in the name and in the life of the Son, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that you would go into the world knowing that you are no longer of the world, but you are born again in the Son. I charge you to go in the authority of His name, the power of His Spirit, and the truth of His Word, and that you would walk worthy of the Lord, making His glorious gospel known in word and in deed, that men might be saved. pray that you would do this knowing that you are strengthened in him, empowered in him, and always, always walking in his grace. May the grace and the peace of our God be with you and ever upon you for this glorious calling, and it is glorious. Amen? It is our commission.